Angel, how are you today? Living the dream, and we've got a super special guest. We do. We have Sarah McDonald with us. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello, Sarah. Good. Hey, Shaz and Will. Really good. Fantastic. Fabulous. We are going to get right into everything Sarah and her amazing business very, very soon. Want to do a shout out to uh, to Video Pro for making Mr. White look and sound great. He looks great, doesn't he, Sarah? Oh, he's, he's a thing of beauty. He hey. really is. We were just we were just sitting here before marvelling at his beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all down to Video Pro, who love teachers and hence have given us this amazing equipment. Yes, um, we sound, right. sound good too. We sound good too. We do sound good. We do sound mm-hmm. good. But, like, we just can't take our eyes off you, um, Mr. White. So, everybody, get, get on board um, our YouTube if you want to see just how spectacular Mr. White's looking right now. Ooh, ouch. Anyway... It's not about you, Mr. White. It's not about you tonight. It's all about Sarah McDonald. So let's introduce um, Sarah to our guests, um, to our guests, to our listeners. So Sarah McDonald uh, is uh, went to the primary schools, Atterdale Primary School in Perth in Western Australia, and Mel Maria Primary School also in Perth in Western Australia. She went to Santa Maria Secondary College. Uh, also in Perth, and she went to Notre Dame University to do her Bachelor of History and Politics, and then the Australian Catholic University to do a Master's of Teaching in Secondary secondary Teaching. Uh, let's let's wow. have a hear a bit more about what Sarah does. Yes, yeah, so born in Melbourne, Sarah grew up in Perth, uh, and she grew up with lots of animals, lived in Japan teaching English. She became a secondary school teacher, head of department, etc., and left it all become, behind to become a dog trainer. Sarah worked with aggressive dogs, learnt that we are all the same. We cannot learn without first feeling safe, absolutely. When we do not feel safe, our system goes into flight, fight, fear or fawn. It doesn't matter if we are dog, human or any other mammal. Our learning process is enhanced in safe environments and with genuine, genuine kind relationships. Sarah lives in a small farm outside of Mansfield with her wonderful husband, four dogs, three cats, two mini goats, four horses, and a partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, Sarah. Oh, wow. it's so great to have you. Love, you. love it. What a menagerie um, you have there. I know. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Keep it down, people. The animals, down, they'll get a bit... They'll yes, get, we right? yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> So we might, hopefully we're going to hear um, from two of her um, older retired dogs who are with her mm. at the moment. They might give us a bark here or there if they're really enjoying the show. So um, the pressure's on. So Sarah, <laughs> we want to hear all about your um, your change from teaching into um, your dog-assisted um, therapies or learning. So, but first of all, before we kick off, we would love to hear who is the teacher who has positively impacted your life? Well, when I first thought of this question, there there is humans that have positively impacted my life, but really the first one I have to talk about is my dog Hamish, a little Jack Russell that I had when um, I was 13 years old. Um, My parents are not, they're cat people, they're not dog people, but um, I managed to squeeze him in. at, at 13, I had a, um, a pretty serious skin cancer scare, and it's a very young age to have mm. a, a skin cancer scare like that. Um, with people seeing me, on the, I'm, I'm as white as you can be. So um, slip, slop, slap, everyone. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, that really shook me. It, it, it um, made me not want to go to school and not want to talk to people about it. Um, and also 
generally I found I enjoyed school socially. I just didn't know it was also a place you were meant to be learning stuff. Um, so my, my dog was a really good mate in, in just making me feel more positive generally. So that helped be more positive with school. But he was just always there for me. Like I just, I remember I would always do my homework on the bed because I had no room on my desk. I'm sure there's parents and students that can relate to that. And so, yeah, it's just <laughs> The desk is where you hold the stuff. The bed is where you work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the dog was just always curled up beside me and just always with me. And I still have those memories, you know, now. So he definitely um, was a great teacher for me and, and a great uh, one that kept me grounded. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And I know that we um, – so I've had two dogs – oh, sorry, that's not true. I've had three dogs in my life and I can remember um, like all of – big life events and having a dog by my Mm -hmm. side um, and really shepherding me through those really big life events. Like they just get emotions and I don't know that they're, they've been pivotal to, I wouldn't say to my growth, but definitely recovery. I get um, when big life Mm. events happen. Oh, I think, Mm. yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, one of the dogs I was telling you about who may bark is the retired guy, Oscar. And, you know, in my adulthood, I've had him 14 years now, but, yeah, in the ups and downs, and he's been there for both. But, yeah, you really hold on to them when, they've, when you know, things are hard. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, it's just that silent um, support and devotion, I think. It's beautiful. Mm. So you've had mm. Hamish, which is great. Any, um, any two-legged friends who have uh, been mm. teachers who have, have kind of helped you throughout life? And oh, you obviously chose to be a teacher. Yeah, so. Exactly. Anybody who kind of encouraged you or, or led you towards choosing teaching as well? Yeah, um, I had a really great... My The first teacher I, I remember, um, I would have been about year five or six, that, that I really have a strong memory for still now, is Les Chidsey, who was um, my teacher at Mel Maria in Atterdale. Um, I actually bumped into Les. I was doing um, some po- a positive schools conference in Geelong, talking about animal assisted therapy. And um, I bumped into him. He was actually in the audience of one of my presentations. And I got to say to him then um, how wonderful he was for me and how he did um, help me um, in wanting, like, in becoming a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher like Mr. Jitsi. Um, And he told me then that that was actually his first class he'd ever taught. You know, when you're a teacher, you don't admit that to the kids. No. When it happens, so, so no. I didn't realise that. But yeah, that was was him back in the day. And so, um, shout out to Les, and I'll I'll try to tag, I'll try to send this as an email later on, so That's you awesome. you get to hear it. But yeah, he great. he just he just cared. He was just genuine, and he was fun. So you yeah. know, it was wonderful. Um, and the other in my high school years was um, my history teacher David Sheehan, and that's probably why my first degree was in history and politics. Mm-hmm. Um, he really, he was just a genuine guy. He wasn't all um, really showy and really out there or anything like that. He was a fairly calm, quiet person, but he genuinely liked the people he was teaching, and he genuinely liked his subject, and that just came through. Um, time and time again and I actually didn't make it to do my final exams I was in hospital in and out with illnesses Um, but I remember us sitting together Um, I I was out of hospital for a little while and going through because I was so upset that I didn't get to do it was the only one I wanted to do the history exam (laughs) I didn't get to do it but I, I got to go through it with him and we were talking about how I'd answer this and what I would have done here and just 
it just kept me part of the group and I, and, and kept me being part of the class and that that was really special so yeah a shout out to David Sheehan at Santa Maria as well oh, that's beautiful that's and great. you know what sometimes um it's hard to stay connected with those students who uh, fall ill for long periods of time in your school. And, mm. and for some teachers, it would be easy for a student to be out of sight and out of mind, not because they don't want to think about them or care about them, just because, you know, as well, Sarah, just we all know how busy. Rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that's fabulous that for a student who um, had a bit of that disconnect through illness at the end of your, of your, um, your school life that he was able to make that massive difference and influence what you actually went on to do at um, at university, which yeah, is very yeah. cool. And it's still a passion of mine now, like yep. love history. So yeah. And so, but you, so you did your first degree and then you chose teaching. Uh, so you went back to do your masters. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I did my first degree, um, and then um, so I had an arts degree, history and politics arts degree, and I realised that that doesn't lead you into a job directly. I'm sure people out there can get you on, but it really never occurred to me that I'd have to think about employment after I finish my degree. So then you, you finish your degree and then you're going to be a... Uh, dot, dot, dot. Like, t- anyone? Anyone? Somebody, tell me. How, do, how am I going to pay my way? How am I going to pay for my house? Yeah. Somebody just let me in the door and pay me some money to talk about history. That'd be wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yes, so I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I spent a year not knowing what to do and, and temping and, you know, not paying off my degree and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. And so I thought, what am I going to do with my life? I then um, jumped on a plane and went to Japan and taught English over there because mm. if anyone's ever taught English as a second language in Japan, Korea, you know, Spain, um, it's full of people who have degrees who don't know what to do with them and are not so ready to grow up yet. So uh, it was perfect for me. Had a wonderful time over there, but really fell in love with the connection with students, really mm. fell in love with that idea of the that, that um, gorgeous um, trust that people have when you um, can give them knowledge and that they can be boosted by it. Mm-hmm. Um and also, and, and I think that's what, so that's what made me go, okay, when I get home, I'm going to go do a degree in teaching. Um, but I think also because I was actually tutoring and not teaching, it kept a little um, kernel, an idea in my head about how to um, have a really good tutoring because students in Japan were really easy to um, engage, that they're mm. very well behaved, very well mannered. Um, so there were classroom behaviour issues is not usually a thing, you know. But they're still kids and engagement is still a thing. You know, Attentional control is still, a, is still a thing. Like they, yes. their mind will still wander, not because they are trying to disrespect you, but just because they're children and, yes. and they're, yeah, they're yeah. learning that skill. Yeah. That's right. And, and they may be more polite about it sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. they're still, they're, they're, their mind's not with you. So, you know, Try, working out ways over there to try to engage kids and, and then keeping the idea here of, look, engagement, it doesn't matter how good your curriculum is, the engagement's the key. So mm-hmm. that keeps that kept me really in that idea. But, yes, so long story short, I then when I came back from Japan and enrolled in a Master's of Teaching Secondary so I could then become an English and History teacher, which Fabulous. I did. Mm. So you're in good company. That That's... Um, Teaching, mm. 
I am the statistic. I finished bang on five years. Ah, so if you look at the two degrees, it took me five years to get the job. And then I had the job for five years and then I burnt out. And we can talk about my – I'm quite right. happy to talk about my, my meltdowns. Uh, but, yeah, mm. only five years. Oh, there there you go. Hey. Hey. Hi, Oscar. Oh, <laughs> that is true though most... but there is that, that, that right five you. years settle down Oscar it's okay sorry about that it's okay. okay but you're right that, I mean, that hello, five hello, years darling. hello hello yeah Which only five is... years but that five years is, is seems to be about the average length it's, it's just under the statistical average length of a, a teaching career what, what we're trying to do with this podcast is turn that around and if you do leave the profession, stay in the world of education, which is which is uh, which is very what much what you've done. done. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree. You know, um, I'm sure it's the same all over Australia. Victoria, as you know well, is in a really dire circumstance. Teachers yes. are just leaving mm. um, schools in droves at the moment, and principals are having mm-hmm. to get back into the classroom and. Put on yep. a number of different hats. We're all wearing a lot of different hats. So, um, yeah, there's there's so many wonderful things that a teaching degree can get you. Like I've I've apart from the dog training job, which we can talk about, but I, I went on to work for a little while for the Royal College of General Practitioners as an education consultant, really. So I was education and events officer. And what made them so excited to hire me was my background in education and understanding learning, and you know, turning that into adult learning and teaching, well, making sure GPs were, were doing the right thing with their professional development. But, Ooh. yeah, the teaching degrees can take you in so many places. It just gets you to understand people, doesn't it? It really does. And the connection and then yeah. the, and the learning pro, um, process as well. Yeah. So, and then, of, of course, there's the curriculum beyond that, but that could be any curriculum like you've, you've just mm. proven there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and so what? Uh, so what led to the shift to um, to dog assisted learning? What? Um, how did you come to that decision? And then, and then, how have you turned it into a business? So you're saying that it's not a usual career path to go from a teacher to a dog trainer. Well, um, I think that is probably what I am saying. You're the first one I've met and I need to know more. And my parents, you know, because teaching is seen as a very stable profession and you can usually, you know, it's one one the mortgage brokers like and those sort of things. Exactly, yes. I might as well have told my friends and family I was running off to join the circus. Mm -hmm. I would have got the same approach. And Mm -hmm. so, look, I, I... I loved the school that I, I worked at. I worked at school, um, Avila College in Melbourne, Glen Wave, um, yeah, Glen Waverley. Fantastic school. Like, it really was. I'm not – but it's the same thing that we, we can all say that was hard with school where I didn't – what I wanted to be doing was working with my students, improving their lives, teaching them stuff, mm-hmm. ex- making them excited. And what I spent more time doing were, were – curriculum meetings where we would discuss curriculum and then you know year level meetings where we seem to have discussed the same thing but in a different room and then another meeting where we seem to have discussed the same thing but in another room and then we have to report on all of those things with a slightly different outlook lens yeah oh it makes me tired just thinking about it so um after five years I put everything into it I was one of those young teachers like so many are that put their hands up to everything I was teaching year sevens I was also teaching VCE and everything in between I was going to school camps I was coaching soccer teams 
you name it, I'll put my hand up to, to it. And it just burnt me out. And I yep. just could not um, step. I would stay in the car. I'd get there early to work and I'd stay in the car park just not wanting to go in because I was just so tired and um, disillusioned at what I'd tried to build. And, and in my view at that point, I had failed. It wasn't the system. It wasn't anything else I failed. So in that time, I talked about being a teacher and getting a mortgage. When you first buy your first house, you get a dog. So um, <laughs> I, I did. I got um, Minnie, my, my first um, dog is an adult, and Minnie is a Ridgeback Doberman cross. Wow. No small dog, right? Yeah, it's a big dog. Big dog. And um, she became fear aggressive. So I started taking her to the local dog school, and, and I realised that, look, Minnie, you've got a couple of different options here. You can learn not to be fear aggressive, or you can live you know, locked in the back garden with fear that you'll, you may get out at any time and could hurt yourself or hurt someone else. So um, it wasn't how I wanted to be a responsible dog owner. So I became, I worked with this school and they loved how much I got into it and um, offered me a job as a dog trainer and said, look, you know, you do this as a hobby. Do you want to come and work for us? And I was crazy enough to say yes, and I was really seeing it as like a sabbatical from teaching. I'd just mm-hmm. do it for a couple of years, and then I'll go back to either the school I was or go somewhere else and just need that break. And, mm-hmm. look, I spent the first six months, and this is always the rule, where the place that I, I learned dog training, I spent the first six, six months not training dogs a lot, just cleaning kennels. So I'd mm-hmm. gone from head of department. I had nails and I wore makeup and then I was covered in dog poo and mm-hmm. it was raining all the time. Um, but, but it gave me, uh, it, it, it got me outside, which helped my mental health. Mm-hmm. It, it gave me the headspace I needed. It gave me that time to think about what was really important to me and what I wanted. And during that time, I did spend um, a lot of work rehabilitating aggressive dogs. Like Minnie was an aggressive dog and I, I saw it as a focus that that I wanted um, and the reason why most of the dogs are aggressive come down to two things they're confused and they're scared and if we look at our students and you know hopefully we're not being bitten by too many of them but um, <laughs> if, if we're seeing if we're seeing you know real real problems with connection and and with building a relationship it's often coming down to confusion and fear yeah, and, absolutely. And so I was seeing so many crossovers. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my head, while I was doing all this dog training, I was writing curriculum. I was like, this could be a course. Kids could teach dogs and they could learn about their own learning processes and learn about where they get worried and where they disengage and, and all those things through observing a dog learning something new. So... It was well written in my head before I ever put it on paper. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that, intriguing. Absolutely. So that, that though, something really resonated with me there was the notion of confusion and fear. Um, and and for, in a student, I see that as a recipe for anxiety. Yep. And yep. we've seen an explosion in anxiety in, in, in mm-hmm. the school setting since COVID. But I think it was, it was on an uptick before that, to be honest, anyway. Um, so what, how, do we, how do we get around that? How do you, I mean, you work with, with dogs to, mm-hmm. to do that. How, how can you teach students how to combat that confusion, combat that fear? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right where it was on an uptick. Um, so I was doing this 
before COVID came in and we had all the fires before that down in Gippsland and yeah. um, Malakuta. Mm. So we were working with the families down there. Um, so we, we wrote a course on on change management and being able to deal with change. Um, but working with anxiety as well, I think the first thing kids need to have a good grasp on is emotional literacy. If you don't have the words, if, if you're just mad, bad or sad, then um, it, it's not going to help you really try to unpack things. So having the literacy first and then looking at skilling the kids up and having different ways to, to deal with those. So we work on something that we call the three C's, catch it, check it, change it. So when you've got a fear, you first have to catch it and use your emotional literacy to say, okay, what's going on in my head? I'm going to check the facts around it or check where I'm feeling with it. I'm and writing then I'm that down just a second. It. Catch it, check it, change it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can give you our, um, our workbooks on it if you like. Um, and then we're going to look at changing it. Now, with changing it, sometimes, and a lot of times if you're a young person, you don't have the power in your life to change the situation, but you mm. can change your perspective or change how much weight you're going to give this problem. So, um, that, so, so different skills like that. And as well, we give them some mind space. So all of our classes have a mindfulness component and this is with the dog but our lives are so busy and so and our brains are naturally busy places that when we do start to feel anxiety it runs out of control because there's nowhere to slow it down in fact we naturally Mm. get faster and faster and faster with it Mm. so if we can teach kids that um, they actually have to spend time trying to empty their brain (laughs) trying to give their brain a rest, like they would give their body a rest after playing a football game or a basketball game. They have to use their brain like a muscle. And Mm. I I think it's about building skills like you would if you were teaching grammar or if you were teaching a ball-throwing activity or if you were teaching algebra. It it needs to be focused in that sort of way. So I think that's Mm. how we help kids with anxiety and with worries. We have to skill them up. I love it. I went to a um, a PD. I'm looking through my phone right now to try to find um, the notes that he gave. But um, Michael Carr Gregg, um, <laughs> who's an Australian um, leader in um, psych- psychology, an amazing speaker. He spoke to um, tw- the twelve schools around my area on Friday about um, about well being and about um, about. And he gave lots of fabulous strategies and that are totally mirroring what you just talked about there, um, mm. Sarah. But he kicked off with like five, um, five things that we all need to do to avoid, uh, to avoid burnout. And one of them um, is switching off. So it's build periods of silence into your day. So um, the World Health Organization is noting that constant noise, particularly from our devices, but just also from this busy world, uh, is a growing concern. So we need to, to, to purposefully um, create those moments of, of quiet. So you need to orchestrate them into your day. Don't just hope that they happen. If you hope that they happen, they're not going to happen. So, schedule them um, in. So yeah. Schedule them in. Know when yep. you're going to have... Um, those moments of and, silence. And I think, you know, moving like into the 90s, 2000s, we had a really huge movement towards health, body health. Like, you know, let's all get to the gym and let's eat well and mm-hmm. let's make sure that, you know, what we're putting in our bodies is not full of toxins and all that. Mm-hmm. What are we putting in our minds? Yeah. 
how how we need to stop leaving our minds behind or thinking it as a separate entity and really prioritize you know yeah what are we feeding them and and we talk about um with the kids about um about their sleep and what are they doing just before they go to sleep at night what are they filling their brains full of um and how much sleep they're getting and what type of sleep they're getting and and so yeah we we need to prioritize it um and i think um it like this is what we do we come into schools and the schools that really work well with it and we can see huge changes are where it's a holistic event so that the, the teachers are saying the same things we're saying the yep. teachers are modeling modeling it it's not just modeled by the poor old teachers who don't have enough time it's in the timetable that you've actually got time um dr helen street just spoke about this um with having a real holistic approach to dealing with well-being that it, it needs to be everyone needs to make sure that it's there and um, and that's what we talk to schools about when we're running these programs. They pay all this money for these programs to go, and yeah. where it works really well is it's echoed again and again. Yeah, because it won't. It won't. It, a one-off event um, talking about this is going to be totally not impactful. The kids. Well, I'm sure when you go there, the kids will have an, um, a wonderful time seeing the dogs. It'll be a highlight and possibly something that will stay in their memory, but. The the messages are things that need to be reiterated and and built in, and so that we can mm. build the capacity of kids to be able to do this forever, not just for a single event. We mm. like it, it's about motivation. We may start the motivation, yeah, but but that could you know, we we yeah. all do it. It's like the New Year's resolutions, isn't yeah. it? You know, like oh, I'm going to do this and this. My life is going to be different this next year. You know, yeah. and then you get four days in, and and things change. You go back to normal. It's the same. <laughs> we're, we're the kickoff point often. Um, yeah. But we want to to remind school leaders and, and everyone that they've got to look after themselves. They've got to look after yeah. their mental health. Yeah. Mm. And modelling that for kids will possibly help to change this next generation um, who are already in a lot of trouble, actually. They they yeah. need our help right now. And, and the best way that we can help is by helping ourselves and then and then building that into our structures as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, it. of course, you're better teachers when – your resilience is up if you've been able to look after your mental health if you're able to get enough sleep you know like of course managing a large busy classroom with you know 25 kids that all have different needs that one kid can almost make you snap you know and you'll say something you shouldn't have said or that or reacted a way that you could have done better and where you build that resilience is that you give yourself a break in other areas yeah. So, mm. yeah, yeah. That time to breathe, that time to heal, that time to the quiet time to recover, yeah. and the the big time to recover during sleep. Absolutely. So, Michael Craig, Greg, like it sounds like, yeah. um, you sound like the same person actually, mm. Sarah, <laughs> saying all of these really important things. But you know what he didn't have? He didn't bring a cute dog. So, um, <laughs> so your messaging is going to win every time. That's well, a good we do, up the and you can see on our Facebook page there's some great pictures of like with our mindfulness. We'll just have the dog lying down. And, and the dog will know it's mindfulness time so they'll be like all right i'm gonna to go to sleep so they're passed out asleep and all the kids are lying around the dog and anytime the kids start moving or they start fidgeting we say sit up look at the dog look how every so often he's taking a really deep breath in and a really deep and really push out that breath and he's just at peace let's try to follow that again and so you get all these kids just laying around like sleepy dogs and oh. 
so good. And going, I just don't believe, like, that kid has ADHD and that one has ODD and how do you get that to happen? And I'm like, look, we set it up, but it's the dog. You're right. Like, we're so, it, it, I have taught with a dog and I've taught without a dog. And I'll tell you, with a dog is easier a thousand times over. Well, if you lay down there and then you say, everybody watch my deep breathing here, they think, who is this crazy lady coming in and sleeping on our floor? <laughs> yes, like we paid her money and she's just sleeping on the floor right now. Absolutely. I see why you needed to introduce the dogs there. So well played, well played. Yes, yes. I take it this happens, you could do this at any year level as well. I mean, I, I don't think this is, I mean, in my mind, it, it, it makes sense that this could be anyone at school, but, but beyond that, as well i mean uh, i yeah, remember well, I've, we... I've had a couple of dogs in my life and i, I remember looking at at them and they, they were pretty chilled out both of them were pretty chilled out but they were obviously very happy dogs i mean they were they were content but the just the calmness that i got looking at romsey mm-hmm. or zoe who are my my dogs in my life and just seeing how content they were and happy and you know they weren't sleeping they were lying there just happy you know and i I yeah. just thought that that's something, it's a lesson for anyone at any stage in life. So we're talking clearly beyond school age here, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I often think when I'm doing, well, all of our staff do long drives. Like we, we say that, you know, we're there for our students. So there'll be school refusers that the, the mentor's planning to go to the school to work with that individual. And we get a phone call saying they're not going to school today. So we go to their home and we work with them there and we try to get them back into school. So there's a lot of driving for our mentors. And we always laugh saying that, Traffic in Melbourne's a killer. It's just horrid. It's one of the worst parts of our job. And then we look behind us, and the dog is just fast asleep in the back. Like there's not a problem in the uh, world. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it's just that reminder, you know, just let it go. They the just dog... know how to find the moment. Like now is a moment of quiet. I'm going to make this a moment of quiet, yeah. and I'm just going to embrace this moment this of quiet right now. That's right. Yeah. <sighs> there's a great visual meme there somewhere. I can I can picture the. the, the... There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and now, right now, is not a moment of quiet for the dogs no. in Sarah's household. No, no, no. shows that there are ebbs and flows, you there are peaks and troughs, aren't there? <laughs> Oscar, I don't know why. Oscar's been deaf for like the last three years. I still call out to him. Like, I know why he's not responding to me. It's like, <laughs> it didn't even yeah, strike me as well. No, I'm, exactly. There he is, looking at the back. There, there he is. He's like, what? Oh, what? Yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. Your mouth was moving, lady. Uh, oh, dear. I love it. So how? Um, how, so first of all, um, we really want to use our magical moment sting, and I know that you've got one. So we would love to hear a very specific moment um, mm-hmm. where you've had um, kind of a breakthrough with a specific student. Um, mm-hmm. And and a dog, uh, and one of your your dog your your learning assisted dogs. Yeah. Um, so we're super excited to play our most recent sting. You're very <laughs> welcome, Sarah, for being part of this uh, this very this this world first. Um, here we go. Okay. Magical moment. There you go. It kind of goes on for a long time. Um, he's quite musical, is my son. Oh, I, oh, don't act challenge. like you're not. In, don't act like you're not impressed, Sarah. Um, all right. Well done. Well done, young man. <laughs> give us, uh, give us your magical moment, Sarah. Okay. So, um, a shout out. Uh, uh, 
I will let him know that because we still do stay in contact. But this young person, um, so we work with groups of people, but we also work with individuals who are school refusing or have an issue with, with connection for loads of different reasons. And so we got asked to work with this young person who was in a residential care unit and kids in resi care their education is so far off the priority list at that point you know trying to find some stability and safety is is what it's all about like we were talking about at the start so this kid was um in in his caseworker once said to his social worker once said to me that um I'll never get it, like, it would be crazy for me to try to get him to hold a pen. He's never um, held a pen before that he hasn't tried to use as a weapon. So mm. it was sort of that level that we were that we were working on. And um, so I saw it as a huge just relationship at the start. And the old dog, Osk, in the back was who he really made the connection with. And we would come once, sometimes twice a week. Um, and no matter where he was, he'd get moved to different resi care units and, and they don't even get told like they could be moved they could be told like within 20 minutes pack your bags you're going to the next one like no stability so i would turn up to a resi unit saying hey i want to speak i want to see we'll work with the kid and that's how he's not here anymore he's at this resi unit so i'd pack up the dog and i'd get in the car and i'd go and find him literally and i'd bring over mcdonald's as well to try to cheer him up um and he, he would mostly just to tell me to f off um, and that he didn't want me in his effing life. I hope I can use the, the F word in that way. You can, safe um, space. <laughs> and, and all, I, and I, I just pretty much ignored it and just spoke about Oscar and just talked about what Oscar needed and what Oscar wanted to do. And he would talk to me about what Oscar needed and Oscar wanted to do as well. So he was really interested in... in um, he, he would um, get the house to work on feeding Oscar and creating meals for him. Um, he ended up doing some building in the back and he built like a cubby and a kennel for Oscar. So I started sneaking in maths and measurement with the um, the kennel and um, we also did that we would work on some writing exercises and those sort of things to write some stuff for Oscar. He was really into his BMX bikes, so we did a business card for him in remaking um, BMX bikes. And it just that relationship just came along and he trusted and would talk to me more and more. This young person ended up, I was still teaching at a puppy school in Melbourne at the time. He ended up helping us at the puppy school, that he would... Um, he would do all the setting up and help me with the pack up and, and just that that was his first job and he was really respectful with the with the people and really good with the dogs and really patient. I just take my hat off to him. He had just come so far and the last sessions when we were working together while he was still like, you know, 16, 17, um, was me dictating um, stories and paragraphs and him writing full paragraphs and f and full work down so uh, like I, I would like to say like, I was I really feel like the best work can be done when you're the facilitator and then it just it happens you have to build the thing but that happened between him and Oscar and that relationship and I just I, I still remember in my mind just the way that He'd walk up and he'd just be like, hey, mate, how you going? And he'd talk to him like he was his mate, mm -hmm. you know. And, mm -hmm. and every so often I still send pictures of the dog, of old, old Oscar to the kid. And, yeah, there's been so many. But for me, I think that was the first 
um, person I had a really long relationship with and, and I knew how much struggle he'd come from and how far he'd come. And how's um, he doing now? Yeah, he's doing really well. He's he's holding down a job. Yeah. He's got yeah, he's, he's got good people in his life and you know, he says hi to me every so often. So, yeah, it it's wonderful. It it really is that That's that fabulous. He's, he's doing well. Yeah, he's an adult now. You know that like they we can't stop them. They do grow up. They do and, grow up. Um mm-hmm. yeah. he he should be really proud of just how far I'm going to cry. <laughs> how far he's come. Yeah. He really should be. The power of connection is something um, absolutely spectacular and just something that he knew that he could rely on. He knew that he could trust. He knew that that Oscar wasn't going to let him down um, and that Oscar cared about him and that that wasn't going to change. That's so, Mm. so special for a young person. Mm. And 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 as you saw right from in your early years with Hamish, um, that power of connection to get you through that really difficult medical emergency back when you were so young. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it... um yeah, it, it was it was really wonderful, and um, he'll always be a highlight. <laughs> That's fabulous. That's a hey, ripper. you know what this is doing, Sarah? Um, uh, Mr. White has um, lost. Uh, they lost their beautiful Romsey quite a few years ago. Was that three years ago? Yeah, two years ago two that you lost, lost ago, Romsey. Yeah, mm. yep. He's and a big um, red golden retriever. Oh, big bear of a dog. He was a big yeah, gentle giant. So gentle, so placid, just such a leaner. He just he's there's a lot of weight in that in that animal that would just lean on you to to get a good pat. Um, And Whitey's family right now is he is all under all kinds of pressure to bring a new animal into their life. Um, I was just talking to his daughter on the on on online just before before you came on, Sarah and. We were talking about the golden retriever, no, the cocker spaniel that they're going to have in their life. Um, I would think probably sooner rather than later once their family hear this episode. We've got yes, yes, yes I think that's probably yeah. true now. You're, it's, you're it's going getting, to be ganged up on. I, I will, and yeah. rightly so, because um, yeah. yeah, that'll happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you heard it here and first, it white family. And it should. You're and welcome. It should. And, and it actually leads me on to, to there, there is a something else I wanted to bring up and talk about that's happened quite, uh, like something's been in the news recently as well. The way Canine Comprehension is set up is so that our therapy dogs live with their practitioners, so, so live with their the teacher or the OT or the speechy, and then they go into the schools. And sometimes um, we, we have schools that love what we do and, and they're all excited about all of this, and they say, oh, we could do this too. And so the principal or a teacher brings in their pet dog. Mm. And it is really a, a very big concern to all to us and to Department of Education, to other educators and other people who do therapy work. Because, as you know, we were talking about how busy teachers are and busy principals are. You can't make sure the dog is ethically safe and sound, and that the kids are. In New South Wales, just last week, there was a support dog. Um, that um, had bitten a child in their school and it was a a dog who um, I don't know 
you know, I don't want to go into it too far because I don't know all the details, but um, full-time dogs in schools can be a real, a, you know, a real worry for the dog. Like we talked about how the mm. dogs sleep in the car and our dogs can only do four sessions a day and they have to be out of the schools. Yeah, yes. So we have to balance all of the benefits, like I told you about that kid and all of the benefits we have for our kids, but we have to make sure that we have a dog who is well-trained and managed for this. And, you know, like the new dog you get, Will, with your family and your pet will be a great family dog. And look, you should get two. Kids, get two. Why not? Um, (laughs) Zip it. (laughs) But for a school dog, they have to be specifically trained and there has to be a lot of work around it. So I don't want this podcast going out and everyone thinks Everyone goes, get get a dog. No. Well, if anybody thinks of that, then I just need to let them um, have my dog, Billy, for a little bit. Um, Billy's a rescue dog. Billy will never be a school dog. Billy, um, Billy's, a, Billy's a loose goose. And um, actually, I might put up some of Billy's um, exploits on His our handiwork. Facebook channel. He's, um, he's how many, quite how many outdoor lounges has he gone through? Oh, he, he's eaten the whole. Uh, there was a three seater, a two seater, and a two seater. That one was. Uh, yeah. That one exploded. Actually, the. I've yeah, a, I'm I've sure really... he had nothing to do with it. No, I. You wait till you see the photo, Sarah. This dog is spectacularly beautiful, but the, oh, the couch has exploded. Dog. It was. It's a full cane couch that is just in little pieces of 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 this big, and it is just everywhere. And he's just he's got bright blue eyes, and he's just looking into the camera like. I don't know what happened. That's a great meme. Yes, it's a perfect (laughs) meme. And that's the perfect meme that everybody needs to have to know your dog can't become your school dog. Yeah. Um, get bring in canine comprehen- uh, comprehension. Uh, comprehension. It is comprehension. Yep. Comprehension. Um, no. And they they will let they, talk to them before yeah, you bring any dogs into your school. Compliance, the work cover, yeah. the public liability and professional indemnity, and the Perfect. risk assessment, do, and the venue that, animal plan. Do that. Don't do Billy. Never bring yeah. a Billy or any other you dog that you, your dog. That's you exactly right. Your own dog. That's right. That's right. He is endless joy, energy. Except, of course, if we want to go for a walk or a run, yeah. he only wants that energy explosion <laughs> at home where he can um, just destroy something. Do you have a lounge suite? Um, what a gift. Uh, giving them away if anybody would like a Billy in their life, need a bit more energy, a little bit more work. If anybody wants a bit more work, give me a call and I've got, challenge. I've got the dog for you. Actually, if you want the next challenge, like Sarah. Mm. I've got four because I've got two retired and two working. So there's Minnie yep. and Oscar that retired. So I've got four. and I've got four dogs. They just So I always say to my staff, you need a plan of what's going to happen when your dog retires. Yes, you know? sure. Yes. But That's they, they why, can't yeah. like me and move to the country and just have far too many animals. Mm-hmm. So It does sound like a, an amazing life. Go, how many? T- take us through the animals again that you have there that we went through at the start. Oh, so it's the four dogs, yes. three cats. Mm-hmm. Um, we found one. one. One was found down the road as a tiny little kitten. We rescued this kitten mm-hmm. that we didn't need yeah. but we love. Um, yes. I decided when we moved to the country that I needed miniature goats. If everyone, anyone thinks they want miniature goats, they're wrong. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> no good. Why that is a fact. Well, I'm all into bad decisions. Maybe I need a, a miniature goat to keep Billy company. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Carry on. Goat. Miniature goats. Excellent. I, I thought the goats would eat all the. Um, you know, the goats will eat the weeds. It will be this lovely mm. organic way of looking uh, after. No, sounds sounds legit. Eight hundred dollars worth of trees that we planted. They just ploughed through. It was just. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I've got the four horses as well, and of um, course, and I've always I've been into horses all, all my life. I had a break, you know, when I was doing all the uni and being an adult thing, but uh, gone back to horses. And people say, "Oh, will you ever get into equine horses? therapy?" Tell us about I say, the... No, the horses are my therapy. Yeah, they're they're for me. So, yeah. but also it's hard enough. The logistics is hard enough getting a dog into a school. How am I going to get oh, a horse? Exactly. So, hey, you didn't mention your husband. You've got no. all of those animals and also a husband as and well. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I have a long-suffering husband who's a well firefighter done. in the country as well. So um, he he works hard doing that. And then he's got to come home and feed horses and deal with the trees that the mini, miniature goats have um, have have mowed down during the day. repeat the words on this podcast that he calls those goats. <laughs> Love it. And he's doing fabulous work as a fire fireman. My dad is a fireman, so um, big shout out to him and all the all of the fire men and women out there. Yes. Hey, we are running out of time, so I want to give you a chance to um, to tell us a bit more about canine comprehension and where people can find out more information about the work that you do. Thanks. Well, canine comprehension is at the moment in Victoria, um, but we are looking at expanding, so talk to me if you're in a different state. Um, we work with uh, individuals um, with NDIS supported as well, um, and we work with school programs. We have a number of different school programs on communication, on empathy, as we talked about, also with grief and loss unit um, and dealing with change. So we really look at making sure that we're empowering kids that struggle to engage, and we're doing that through written and endorsed curriculum um, with trained professionals that come in with their wonderful therapy dogs, and all of this work's done in the background, and then the dog gets all the credit for it. So, um, you can find Canine Comprehension um, if you type in um, to your Google provider, or it's Canine Comprehension, so spell it out, C-A-N-I-N-E and Comprehension, .com.au um, and then we're also on Facebook, Instagram and you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm Sarah um, with an H, Wonderful. MacDonald, M-A-C-D or N-A-L-D. Um, yeah, that's all my, all my handles. Ready to go. That is a fabulous. Thank you so much, Sarah. Have you got a few spare um, Billy is on his way. I've just um, had him, my husband heard me mention that we're packing him up. He's already, he's in a crate. He's delighted. He can't wait to meet you. He's going to live out with the goats and all the other. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. Absolutely. Oh, the memes, the memes that would be coming your way, honestly, Sarah. Um, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for your service as a teacher and thank you for the work that you're doing fantastic. now um, as Power well. To you. Uh, absolutely. We appreciate you and your uh, your fabulous team um, well. of of mentors did you mentors, mentors? Yeah. yeah 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 15 of them now and growing so oh and we've got about 25 dogs so yeah that is, that is fabulous mm. awesome well everybody reach out um to sarah if you believe that she can help her or her team can help you in any way uh, if anybody wants to connect with our podcast um if you're a teacher if you're an assistant teacher whitey if you're a Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your neighbor, if your neighbor is a teacher, 
if you um, work in an industry where Sarah found us and they are working with teachers and then she thought that her uh, mentors would really benefit from listening to a podcast talking about teaching and um, the challenges of the profession, we are the podcast for you. Um, Link up your friends, get people on board um, so we can tell uh, everyone, tell the world how great teachers are and the work that they're doing. All right. All right, uh, we're out. So um, good afternoon, uh, Sarah McDonald. Thank you. Goodbye. Good afternoon. Wonderful Good afternoon, Mr. White. Afternoon, Mrs. Angel. (laughs) All right, see everyone next week. Bye. Powered by Riverside.